Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends. Happy holidays, everyone. I hope you're having a very safe, happy holiday new friend to the show, Rick Younger. Rick is an actor, comedian, singer, originally from Baltimore, Maryland. He's been seen on Showtime at the Apollo, the Woody Allen Amazon series, Crisis in Six Scenes, HBO's Girls, Blue Bloods, Law and Order, SVU. His film credits include Ordinary World and Morning Glory. He's toured nationally with the Broadway musical Rent, and he was seen in the Broadway musical Mean Girls, based off the book by Tina Fey. Rick has an incredible spirit. Sure, you've seen him in numerous national television commercials. And we talk about that spirit on the picket line. Striking for Writer's Guild? Thank you, Rick. Great singing voice. We're friends like us. Who needs enemies? We're friends like us. We'll be your frenemies. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Also welcome back, Venice Antoinette. Venice is a podcaster, content creator, and entrepreneur. After receiving her master's degree in TV and media management, she worked with the Glass Entertainment Group Production Company to help successfully produce one of the largest podcasts on Apple, Confronting O.J. Simpson. She then started her business, podcasting, and media group, LLC, to help small business owners and independent podcasters launch their podcasts. Check out Benice's podcast, Sip and Spill. Welcome back, Mark Theobald. Mark is a stand-up writer, producer, known for The Last OG, Delocated, and the 2019 ESPY Awards. He's been featured on Comic View, The Chappelle Show, and he was seen on The Last OG. As well, you may have caught Mark on tour with the hilarious Tracy Morgan. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast. And Twitter is friendslikeustin. Become more than a friend and leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage it's unfiltered it's unedited go to patreon backslash friends like us and be golden merch is available we have t-shirts hoodies coffee mugs face masks tank tops they're all available go to marinafranklin.com weekly on my youtube channel i go live with my assistant evelyn frick my wacky friend dave juskow it's every saturday sometimes we're off especially this holiday. We give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews. We have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by and sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want. Be kind. And Black Lives Matter. I'm with Rick Younger. 
He's our new friend, and he's a better singer than me. He could probably take over the song. He's been a mean girl, but he's not a mean guy. Also a good friend, he's returning to the show. You guys know him very well. Comedian on tour with last um, Tracy Morgan. <laughs> and so is Rick. Rick is also a comedian. Don't leave that out. Anthony, she's my young star, influencer, and she asks all the right questions because she's from Philly. All right. Uh, welcome, all right. Guys. That was uh, quite an intro. <laughs> yeah, that I was, feel uh, welcome. I really feel welcome. Yeah, There's you know, a lot of shoulders yeah. in that. I like that. I like, I'm a shoulders guy, so I like that. <laughs> well, I do it also because, Venice, just so you know, we all, I did my first strike last Thursday with the two gentlemen on the show. And, and Rick was like the hype person for what was the Juneteenth Black Writers Black Salon, Salon. Black Writers Salon. Picket. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Black Writers Salon. Mm. So oh, yeah. Basically, well, basically the, we got the writer strikes been going on since May 2nd. And uh, the Black Writers mm-hmm. Salon sponsored the last, uh, I guess this, for Juneteenth, we had a special march for Black writers. And I invited some friends who are also actors and comedians and and talented people. And they all came out. We, uh, we were in front of HBO's uh, office on 10th Avenue and 33rd Street. And uh, we picketed for three hours. Then we had an after party because... Cause we black and we gotta have an after party, you know. How we right. you know, gotta have an after <laughs> gotta party. Have an after party. And the way we partied at the picket made it feel it didn't it did not yeah, feel did like not. three hours. It was it was very short. It was like it was like over. It was like what? Yeah, did and, we be finished? And, and well, may I say that party. you know we've had meetings because uh, I'm I'm a captain of the writers, one of the captains. Uh, there's many of us out there who are, are part of this strike, but part of the issues they had was that they said we don't want people smiling. On Instagram photos, so I was like, "Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. We we need to not smile." <laughs> and yeah, and Marina was one of them, right? She was like, "Y'all need to stop partying out there." And meanwhile, Marina was leading the day on electric slide. I, I was like, "What are you doing?" She, she was. She she <laughs> like I need to party like this. Ow. <laughs> like, I know I was the first was like, one out doing, there doing the electric slide. It was crazy. <laughs> He's up there partying. Look, I mean, but that's that's us as a people. We we uh we find joy, you know, the fact that we are here is because we found joy and able to go through adversity with a with laughter and a sense of humor and a smile. And so it's like picketing. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm upset about the conditions in which you have us working, but uh right. I can still part and get my point across that, you know, we're not down with this. No Roger, no rerun, no rent. As writers, unlike like comedians, we get to see each other at comedy clubs where we get to hang out. Writers, we don't really get to see each other like that. So us coming together yeah. on that line is like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you in so long. And there's a soundtrack. So it's like, oh, well, we got to dance. We got to dance. Right. We got to dance. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the the reason I got on the mic was because when things started, they were just walking around like moping in a circle and the DJ is playing Ain't No Stopping Us Now by McFadden and Whitehead. How you going to sit still on Ain't No Stopping Us Now? So I, was, I got on the mic and then it, he it is it, like 20 songs in. I'm like, I guess I'm on the mic, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> and you were singing along, and I, I saw someone in the picket line go, ooh, he's actually really good. <laughs> I, I might get, I might right. get some that's work right. out of this. Getting, you know, it's like, I, there's a bunch of writers out there. It's like, we need to make a show around that guy. <laughs> are you, now, Rick, are you in the Writers Guild? No, I'm not in the Writers Guild. And yet you took part, which is really super important. Yeah, uh, as well, I, you know, SAG... After we support and, you know, and also, I mean, I would love to be in the Writers Guild, but, you know, also we're all fighting for the same thing since we're about to be uh, up for a possible strike because we have the same issues that the Writers Guild has uh, as far as uh, streaming and AI and all of those things. So yes. it's like, um, and they're, you know, the SAG after contract is up this week on Friday, June 30th. So if they do not have a settlement by then, uh, we're going to be out there. And let me tell you, SAG and AFTA has been out there since day one with us. So I don't care if they yeah. do settle. Uh, they've supported us and they've been very kind in terms of their support. So we we appreciate it. And we appreciate Rick coming out and singing. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, Venice, how do you do you know anything about Writers Guild? And, and what is your perception of the strike being as an outsider to this writer's world? Maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, no, I haven't um, participated in any of the pitching or anything like that. But of course, I support. And from my perspective, um, I hate to see what's going on, um, especially with like the idea around like AI and all of that kind of taking over like a writer's job. But even beyond that, just the entire um um, writers strike in general. Um, I'm definitely in support. I have a lot of friends who are writers who live out in LA and Hollywood, um, writing for different shows and, um, everything like that. So I would love to come out and support when I can. I'm just in the middle of nowhere. Um, but <laughs> next time there's something in Philly, let me know. Oh, I'll make that two hour drive. There you go. <laughs> And I think the music makes you want to go too. Yeah. Like that was it was actually a fun picket no, line. It, it was. It was. Dare a fun I say? Line. I mean, it's look, a- you know, I, I I'm just I, I I don't agree with we got to look angry to have a problem. Mm-mm. I mean, I say that as a person uh, uh, speaking of my personal experience on Broadway. I I started doing therapy when I was on Broadway because I discovered. Uh, a name for what my problem was anxiety. I didn't even know I had anxiety. I'm going because at that time I'm going through a divorce and all this other stuff. And I was just like, I need somebody to talk to. And I share with my therapist about, you know, Hey, I got this feeling and I I don't even know what it is. And I explained, I said, yeah, I'm like a grown man. And I feel like I'm afraid and I'm going to be in trouble and this, that, and the other thing. And she said, that's anxiety. I said, I thought that was just being black in America. And it's like, um, by going through that experience, I realized like here I am, I was on Broadway and I was like on the side of the stage, afraid to go out and perform. And I'm like, I got to go because my lines are coming up. But it's like people think that, hey, why, what, why would you have a, a problem? You're living your dream. And it's like we can have issues and we can put on a, a good face or we can actually be happy from time to time within the midst of a struggle. So I'm like, I'm all for us getting out there and, you know, make it fun, make it enjoyable because it also increases the numbers. 
And when they see the numbers out there, that that's going to matter more than if they see right. people smiling. That's what I love about our culture. I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day about how one of the biggest disconnects between black culture and a lot of other cultures and why we're not understood is because we're known to kind of like make jokes out of everything. But in yeah. reality, that was like our surviving, like that was our way of surviving. Like when you take it all the way back to slavery up mm-hmm. until now, we were constantly thrown into the worst case scenario in this country. And the only way that you can survive that is finding laughter out of it. And so yeah. I love that in our culture, we find things that we still fight for our causes, but we do it in a fun way. And that attracts yeah. even more people to join that movement. So, um, you know, like you were saying with the strike and people kind of like playing music and dancing and doing the electric slide, that doesn't take away from what the point of that strike was, but yeah. it attracts more people to want to join in. Yeah, and the black and- experience as a whole, being black is anxiety. Like it doesn't matter oh, yeah. what you're doing, just being born black in America comes with anxiety. So yeah. overcoming that, you have to find ways to find joy out of that. Well, studies have shown that we our DNA picks up the oppression of our ancestors. And, you know, uh-huh. it's like I even think about in my personal family. That's one of the things that therapy has done for me is has given me opportunities to just observe what made me who I am today. And like to find out that my grandfather was an orphan who was like not cared for as a child and how he was not very uh, affectionate. And then I to to realize, wait a minute, my mother isn't that affectionate. Like I can go home and see my mother and it's like we'll hug like when I get there and we'll hug when I leave. And it doesn't mean that she doesn't love me. I know I figured out how to understand Mm -hmm. her love. But I'm like, oh, that's how I am like this. And it explains how I've been in relationships and stuff like that. And we carry all that, you know, so the the oppression, the the having to teach our kids how to conduct themselves, you know, that's a, that's a hard load to bear. So we got to find the joy. I agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think, I think me and Rick talk about that uh, in terms of raising sons uh, just how, how much discipline do we have to give our sons in terms of, because it's going to be a lot tougher out in the world for you than it is here. So I got to prepare you, but it's like, I don't want to be that tough, but I have to be that tough because I don't want you to be, engaging with the police or anybody else of authority that you might have yeah. and won't have uh, but, as much love yeah. with. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, but but also figuring out what needs to be prepared for and what needs to be dealt with when right. and if it happens. You know, uh, that's actually something that one of my buddies, uh, his son is uh, older than than my oldest. And he was saying that one of the things he had to learn was like waiting uh, you know, waiting to deal with some things as opposed to constantly giving a right. list of don'ts, you know, and it's because it's like white kids don't have that. They don't have all these restrictions. And and we, you know, it's like you without those restrictions, they feel that they they feel they have a right to whatever space they take up. Now, granted, we we know as older black folks that, yeah, you're going to find out where you're going to get some pushback. But to go in and not even try for the, the, the highest level because you're already prepared that you're not going to get that, I think it does a disservice to our children. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was, it's interesting that you say that about generational 
anxiety, but I found out I was 12% Ashkenazi and all my Jewish friends were like, yeah, yep. <laughs> and I was like, what does that mean? And I, you know, like I was with Gina Yashara yesterday and I was like having something and she goes, Marina, stop it, stop it. <laughs> and I was like, what? She goes, am I doing that? Th-? She goes, mm-hmm. I, and her girlfriend is Jew. Her well, wife. I feel like at All this right. point, Nina is Jewish. <laughs> and Nina, I told Gina. I said, I said, Nina said to me when I found out, or she told someone that she, when she found out that I had like twelve percent Ashkenazi, she was absolutely <laughs> like, yeah, abs. Marina has all the stuff. I'm not surprised even a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I don't know what that means, and I'm not going to say what that means because I feel like that enters right. into some tricky stuff. But yes. I'm just letting you know, all my Jewish friends were like, "Yeah, it's yeah, there. It, it's yeah, it's it's hard when you have to come back with, but and have to explain to them why you say the things. <laughs> he's, but everybody who knows, right. they know. So that you did a good job of just putting it yeah, out there. I just leave yeah. it there. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. It's like anxiety is a huge part of like. Uh, definitely in you know black culture and we never had a chance to or of what we deal with we never had a chance to talk to someone about it so I'm glad you know you're doing that and um, back to Mm -hmm. this writer's strike I want to know what is what is it that we want like I know from this article but Mark yeah I mean we just the, the pay is so much different now once we went to streaming I mean prior to streaming 10 years ago everything was on TV or cable and you're writing for a TV show. You're doing 22 episodes. Now you're on stream and you're doing 10. So basically writers are becoming gig writers. Uh. And before, when you had like 22 episodes, the writers would not only write for the season, which would take that, that 22 is going to take you through the whole year. So you you got a whole year's worth of health insurance and that health insurance will probably go out to two years after that. Cause that's the way the writer's guild is, is planned out. But also you got to get on set as a writer. Now, the importance of being on set is that you're there for the script that you wrote. You're producing it. So you're on set. You're giving notes to the actors. You're giving notes to the director. You're going, hey, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what that. Now, what they did was they cut out writers coming on set. Now, what that does is once you don't you don't know how to produce as a writer, how do you become a showrunner? Because part of being a showrunner is producing. You know, you got you got three levels. You got writing, producing, and then editing at the end, at the tail end. But if you're not allowed on set, which they're not doing now, they're not letting anybody get on set. It's like, all I'm doing is writing. I don't know how to produce. How am I going to become the next Shonda Rhimes? And that, and this is the problem. The, the studios are looking at it like, well, we'll pay Shonda Rhimes millions of dollars. We'll pay Craig Mazin millions of dollars. But I don't want to play them lower level people. Because they ain't, they ain't the people. What they fail to realize is that at some point, Chandra was one of those people that you're talking about. So was Craig Mazin. They were developing. But if they weren't gig writers, meaning that I could just write for a couple months, four months, and then I got to go be a waiter or a waitress or something else while I wait for the next job. These guys were writing constantly. And by writing constantly and working on your craft, you become the next Chandra Rhymes or the next Craig Mazin. Uh, and you can make these millions of dollars in projects that make these studios a bunch of money. So it's it's basically like saying as a studio, I want to buy a baseball team, but I don't want the farms. I don't want the farm system. It's like the farm system it develops your talent. It's like, why would, you, why would you not want the farm system? It makes no sense. 
but that's what they're doing. And, and also we got AI, which is a whole nother, a uh, whole nother thing. And AI is just basically a computer that takes all the scripts that's online and basically comes up with a framework for a, for a script. And we don't want that because we write it. Uh, we're putting, we're putting our, our soul and our sweat and blood into those scripts. And that script that's going to be written by a computer is not going to be viable. Uh, cause it's not going to, it's not going to be nuanced. It's just going to be a general frame. And that's what the, that's what I think, I believe that the studios want. They just want a general frame to say, Oh, look, this is our script. Now, Mark, Ooh. you write, you rewrite this script to make it more nuanced, but we're not going to pay you like you originated the script because our computer originated it. So it's basically saving them money. It's all about, mm-hmm. it's bottom line is the studios are trying to save a bunch of money, not having us on set, not long, less se- seasons are lo- not as long. AI, it's all about saving money. And um, I think what they fail to realize is that this system's been working, man, for a long time, developing new talent. And uh, if you change it, it's not going to work as well. Uh, and I think we've proven that. Look at look at all the hit shows that out right now. Right now, it's the golden age of television because a lot of the movie writers came to TV. So it's uh, it's banging right now in terms of how many shows out there that are really good. It really is. Um, but if you take us off set, you're not going to develop the next generation. It's going to be done. Um, and, uh, that's what we're trying to prevent. That's it. Is that, AI, have you seen this? Um, cause they're saying that AI can learn to be. Absolutely. And it can, it can learn. Go ahead. Finish. Um, Sorry. but what we're saying is not going to have, <laughs> I know one of the writers wrote, uh, came to the meeting and she said, I had AI write about black. So I said, write me up a black, uh, movie. Or something, and they, it was the first thing that came up was, was apes, and I was like, I was like, even the AI is racist. I'm oh, like, Jesus God. Christ! I was like, they are very <laughs> racist. I'm like, AI is racist, nigga. <laughs> the French. I'm like, it is very <laughs> because the people, the people who, who created who put, it, who started. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> well, anything that's in America is right. coming from the, uh, you know, default right, setting right. of and, racism. So if, if you're drawing from American right, you're gonna things, you're going to have a right. whole bunch which, of racism. Which is, I guess, that, I guess that'd be good for black people. But it will still be working. <laughs> they need, <laughs> but you know, the thing, the other thing about it, you know, what, what else is going to happen? They're going to ask the actors to enhance they're the scripts gonna, also. Which you be writing. So, so it's you know, like, you know, which brings us back, back right. to SAG after, you know, being involved in, in our concerns about all of the things that right. are of concern. And, and the residuals have dropped. Because I'm pretty sure they're not gonna, yeah, they, I'm pretty sure they're not gonna want to pay people more when they ask you know, the actors like, yeah, yeah, do something right. with that, you know? which is writing. As soon as that script changes, that's writing, and that's what that's what this that's what we do on set. That's what yeah. we do when we produce. We change uh, stuff on the set all the time. That's what we do. Um, did that in the last OG. We did that every 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 set you're yeah. on. You're changing it all the time. So. It's, Meso Mike, right. Mike. We're changing, we're changing, we're changing stuff <laughs> all the time on set. So it's like, I can't, I can't see them. You know, I know they have some people like to follow exactly what's written. Um, I think comedy is a little different because comedy sometimes in the moment and based off of, okay, this is what we're, this is the environment we're in. So let's, let's change this to what the environment uh, we're in. Uh, for instance, like Rick, when you were Meso Mike, you were in the garbage can. I think, you know what I'm saying? So 
And I think I think you yeah. came up with the song with the they'll never find me in here or whatever it was. This song, right? So it's like you yeah, know, what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's, yeah. but it fit the environment. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? So it wasn't written like that, but it, it changed because of the environment it was in. Right. So, so that's a, a good example of that. But that's that's part of the that's part of being on set and that's part of producing. And you take that out, man, you, you you're going to lose a bunch of showrunners, and the shows are going to suffer for it. So that's what we're fighting for, and uh, hopefully they'll come to the table. Yeah. So we'll see. Now, what were you going to ask, Venice? I'm sorry. Oh, no. I was just going to say what's scary for me is how developed AI is becoming and how quickly it learns. Because um, I was watching, I mean, listening to a podcast and I remember they were talking about there was a production team that was taking scripts from the top performing movies that did well domestically and they were inputting it into AI basically to teach it kind of the formula for the best performing movies and then trying to get it to give it a different version of it. And so they're constantly like inputting more and more of these top performing scripts because they think it's like a almost like an algorithm, like a formula that is like, oh, if it learns it over and over again, eventually it's going to perfect it. And then that's going to take it to the point where the writer's room might be one or two people in that room basically just redeveloping the script that they have AI create. And then you take it into the podcasting world. And what's scary for me is I have an editing software I use called Descript. Descript can literally, I can type in what I want Descript to have me say, and it can literally take the tonality of my voice, give me four different versions of my voice and put in exactly what I asked it to say, and it'll sound just like me. I've tested wow. it out multiple times. And that's scary because it's like, yeah. I can't even tell the difference between if I said it or if it's something that I asked it to say for me. Um, and so it's like the way that it's developing as quickly as it is, is just becoming more and more concerning because it's Ooh. going to get to a point where even podcasts isn't going to be people talking. It's going to be literally people taking somebody else's voice and just having different softwares just input that and you have a 20 minute episode of a podcast with the writer's room basically just taking the formulas from these other movies that perform so well and recreating them to you know basically uh i think the word they used was like lack of risk because they know that that type of movie worked in the past so it's like they know it will work again in the future or they assume it would descript has been emailing me so much i love about descript. using oh you do i do that I that feature, you can choose to use it. Like, it doesn't require it. I used it out of curiosity, but I didn't realize it was to the point where it can give me different versions of the tone of my voice. So if I type in, like, a paragraph, it'll give me three to four different versions of that based off of how my voice sounds at different points of when it's collected my voice from other podcasts that I've done because it's learning who I am. So it's like, do you want to do it in a calm tone? Do you want to do it in an uplifting tone? And it literally oh, wow. will sound like me. <laughs> well, that I, is I hear, so scary. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, uh, people scammers are using it to uh, oh, call right. people That's it. Yeah. Right. and but basically ask right, for right, money right. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's scary because also things we always worry about things being taken out of context. Imagine, imagine someone who has malicious, you know, intent, like creating a podcast with you on it, saying things you didn't say. And trying to defend it. Yeah, that's that's a thing in the I know in the music world, that's a thing right now, because people are taking artists voices and creating songs out of them. 
and they're afraid that they're going to get to the point where they're going to start featuring artists on songs that the artist was never yeah. on. I've seen those like on TikToks and stuff. Like I saw one where there's, I think it's uh, Elvis Presley singing Baby Got Back mm-hmm. and Frank Sinatra Ooh. singing something, you know, <laughs> like a hip hop song. And it's just like, oh, man, this is. Yeah, yeah. AI is terrifying. I mean, that's why the even the godfathers of AI, one of them quit mm-hmm. the company, like was just like, I'm out. Because until you have lawmakers and legislators and these men who are in office who are like over 100 years old, understanding what this is, like, because they don't understand technology. So they don't get it, how important it is. And even, Venice, as you're explaining this in itself, they need people like yourself, like young people who are doing this, who are working with it, who are who come into Congress and explain what they do so they they have an understanding of where the danger lies so they can pass laws and regulate it because the regulation needs to start like today, not like actually yesterday. (laughs) I really don't think they care because the fact that Elon Musk came out and spoke against AI and they did nothing that to me is like you really don't care. Like this man is a billionaire basically off of his own technology and he's telling us it's a danger to the world and speaking against it. And they're still continuing to push it. So I don't think they care. And he's a danger to the world. He says it's a danger to the world. You should you should trust him. Right. (laughs) As a danger to the world, I'm here to tell you, this is a danger to the world. Now, I have some script here of what the writers want just to sort of put this all into perspective, too. This was written in February, just so you know. Many expect that the negotiations will be tough and that a strike could be on the horizon, and it is. It's a widening gap between what the union's roughly 10,000 members want and what studios may be prepared to deliver amid a period of cost-cutting and layoffs. Ultimately... Guild leaders say they are looking to make it easier for middle class writers to earn a living with rising inflation and shifts in how writers are compensated. Writers are also pushing for higher minimum pay rates across a range of services. Writers have argued that fewer of them are working and those are making less money. The union has previously said more writers than ever are working at or near minimum rates and that those rates have kept pace with rising costs. Inflation recently, though, hit a peak of 9.1%. Now, this was in February, Ooh. so it's it's gone down since then, I think. Typically, every cycle the WGA bargains for is a 3% increase in these so-called minimums. So just so you know, that's it, right? 3%, 3% yeah. is Mark, am 3%. I right? That's all we're, we're actually, asking for? Actually, overall, we're asking for less than 3%. Uh, I think it's 2%. Mm. Um, this is the collective. So we're not asking for a ton. And meanwhile, these executives are taking hundreds of millions of dollars home every year. So it's, I mean, we're not asking for, I, I think we should ask for more, honestly, but but that's what we're asking for. And I'm I'm with it. As long as we could change what it is and we're not being gig writers where we have to scramble for work every year. So that's what we're looking for. And some board members have been calling for a doubling of minimum across the board, which could be a non-starter we'll for the studios. We'll I mean, 
Why are writers so focused on streaming residuals? It's just lower. It's lower than what you get on television. Uh, And it kind of made it. They made it's a lot lower than what you get on TV compared to streaming. And we don't like that, especially since everything is shifting to streaming now. So it's like their argument prior to this was, well, not that many people watch streaming. Well, now everybody's watching streaming. So that that argument's out the window. And then we got people like Netflix who won't even share their data with us. So it's like we're being fair and we're going, can we see how many people are streaming the show? No, we can't. We can't share that. So we're supposed to trust you when you can't even share that. Uh-huh. No, I'm not trusting you because you. the only reason you're hiding it is because more people are watching than you're willing to admit. I mean, that's the only reason, because if it was a loss, yeah. you'd show it. So you're not showing it. So, yeah, um, uh, well, we just don't trust them. Well, there's a there's a lot of par- a lot of parallels between the writers and the actors, because um Yeah, I always tell people as a person who's been in a lot of commercials, it's like the residuals that you get on stuff, especially since so much is on streaming now. It's like I've seen the decrease in um, in residuals. And also I see how much more money I make off of commercials. It's like until you're a series regular, you're not you will make more money regularly doing commercials than you as an actor than you will as a person who's on TV. You know, or you, you know, there'll be people that you're like, who you might recognize from a few movies and they're not the rich and famous people that everyone thinks that they think the minute you're on TV, every time you're on TV, you get a million dollars or whatever. And it's like, no, it's like we are also becoming gig, you know, you know, people who are at you know, who have actually gone from making a living as actors, you know, like, uh, What's his name? Uh, who played Elvin? And um, oh, when yes. he had he to had work at um, Jones. that's right. right. At you know, that's a perfect example. It's like you know. Oh, what's his you, name? Oh, you're Thibodeau. right. Yeah, Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Cosby Show. Yes. Yeah. I'll look it up. And they made fun of him, right? They made fun of him for wearing. He was a Trader Joe's. Elvin Jeffrey Owens. He he played Elvin Thibodeau. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I mean that's that's not uncommon, you know. People who, you know, and trust me, I, I had a 2022 where if you'd have saw me, seen me working at uh, Trader Joe's, it would have it would have made right, sense. Right. It's like it's it's hard sometimes when you're used to making your living and you're like, well, I'm going to hang on a little while longer before I have to go and do these other things. You know, just like it would be a damn shame if you are you wrote a TV show and it's playing at the bar that you're right, bartending right. at. You know, right. it's like. You know, it's also the perception that people have of actors and writers Mm. and what we make. They think we Mm. make a. I I think when people see you on just one TV show, they're like, "Oh, you're rich." (laughs) (laughs) Flying in private jets, and if you if you do a couple of things, it's all kinds of rich rich rumors going around. Like, yeah, I heard he moved out of town, lives in a mansion in Maryland. That's somebody said that about me once off of a couple of commercials. I have really? a rising commercial yeah. made him rich. I'm sorry, Rick. Nah, I, start, I, I started that room. I'm sorry, Rick. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> it's a commercial, you man. Tell the way, you could tell the way certain people kind of start asking you for money or or or, or, or stop contributing to like meals yeah, when you yeah. go out uh-huh. and you're like yeah, oh they yeah, must think yeah, I have a, money yeah, yeah I mean yeah. I do but it's my money and I know <laughs> I want to spend my money I mean it's and also like I think Chris Rock did that joke yeah. years ago about like there's taxes and 
you know, yeah. you just don't know. You don't know. It's how much money is taken out of an actor's um, salary. And and those residual checks, sometimes just so our listeners know who are not in this industry at all, Mm. like I have a a residual check for two (laughs) cents. Oh, yeah. Those those checks that it's like, y'all could have just told me to stop past if I'm ever ever in the neighborhood and y'all could have saved money on stamps. Where the check check (laughs) is less than the stamp. You know, it's like, I like I can't even use my app to take a picture to deposit it. It's too little. They were like, "That's not enough money to you have to bring that past the bank when you accumulate about ten more of these. Yeah, maybe you can true. put in two dollars. It's it's and it gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, it's like it play that game. Of, it, you, it, like you you get it in the mail. You play the game. It's like okay, let's see, let's see if today I'm gonna get a check that's worth more than five dollars. <laughs> ah, four seventy seven. It's a shame. Okay, so. One of the big challenges facing writers is how streaming has shortened right. TV seasons. Because I noticed yeah, that so, I mean, as typically well. Like, TV seasons, 20, 22 episodes. That's like, like CBS, ABC, NBC. Uh, when you go into streaming, like for instance, the last OG, we only did 10 episodes. And that's pretty, that's pretty common now is 10 episodes on streaming. 10 yeah. now, I, I've been even seeing some that's eight. I, I've, six, I've seen eight and six. Uh-huh. six. I'm like, uh-huh. damn. Yeah. Yeah, I see yeah, a lot so of pilots. Now they're, that going, are six. they're going to six. And that's cool. like, dude, how many writers do you have on it? And then they got these thing called mini rooms, which Netflix was coming. They'll get a bunch of writers together uh before and break the season, basically, write the arc of the season. And then once the season starts, you're done. And we'll bring in the writers to write off of what they wrote, but they're not paying those guys in the mini room nowhere near what they should be paying them in terms of these are veteran writers who may be co-EPs and they're playing in one flat rate and it's, which is not fair to them. And it's not what they should be getting paid. And they, they know that and they're getting, they're getting over. So we're trying to prevent that from happening. Tyler Perry says he doesn't see a problem with really? any of this. Okay. Of course he said that. No, I mean, you know, he, he, he has one man writing. Oh, that's home. right. So I'm remember, sorry. He's too. doing all of his shows uh-huh. by himself. Yeah. <laughs> So he didn't literally so say it? that. I'm just saying his 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 actions say that he doesn't. See I know well, his actions say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. he did. He did say nobody else can write for his audience better than him. So that's why he doesn't like working with writer rooms. But yeah. he said that in the interview. Yeah. I will I mean, give I, it to Tyler Perry for the fact that he employs like a lot of actors that I hadn't seen in a long time. He's given work like to, that. so I do like right. what he does there. Um, but I, I will say, like, he could help writers by, like, Ooh. he is part of the problem right. by I not agree. employing That's writers. A, it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a very, um, I look at Tyler and I go, I, I like the stuff that he's done in terms of building his own studio, in which Marvel did their last two movies, uh, uh, the last two Avenger movies. And, and I think um, Coming to America was down there, too, in Atlanta. It's a huge studio. But the fact that you're not paying writers is like, dude, you you write. It's like, don't you want to help the next generation? I'm not even saying let's like just help writers. How about the next people coming up behind you? You know what I'm saying? So, and he just brought BET. So you know, so. Well, did you did you see the Atlanta episode where um, Donald Glover? played the character Mr. Oh, Chocolate. Yes, yes, I saw that. I, yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. I started to watch it and then I couldn't understand yeah. what was going on. Well, Mr. Chocolate is, is supposed Perry, right? to be yes. Tyler Perry. It's like <gasps> some some of the stories oh. that are getting out is that it's like he has, you know, he's done great right. things. 
He's uh, there are things to admire about him, but there are some conditions and some ways of ways that things are being done that are not always the best or the nicest. And, you know, he's not very right. pro union. So, you know, but of course, you you know, when you're not pro union, it's usually because you want to do things that are against the union rules. And those are rules because they're trying to make sure that people are right. being treated fairly. Right. I agree. Is it true that um, like since this the studio has kind of like been out in the public and has been booked more for movies that he's been hiring more writers? Because I remember somebody interviewed him and he said moving forward, he was planning to have more writers rooms for his shows. But I was just curious if that actually happened. I I don't know anybody that's written with or for him. Uh, I just don't. Okay. Uh, it doesn't mean they're not out there. I just, I just personally don't know. So I do not know. I know, I know he likes to write a lot of his own stuff, and I just don't know anybody that's been like, yo, I write Tyler Perry. I, I don't know. I don't know anybody. I think my cousin wrote for him, and I was like, you do? <laughs> like, I was like, this is important information. How are you just telling me this? And and, and it seemed like kind of like like she didn't know her rights. Cause I was like, "What you did? He pay you?" Right. That's, that's, I know, especially when you start a story with my cousin. You know, it's like because cousins be having some stories. Like what? What you? You know, it's mm-hmm. like. But I mean, I also feel that it might be time for Tyler to reinvest some of the money into the wig collections oh. of some of his movies. Yeah, because there's some rough wigs oh, on man. some of those movies. That one where what's the, all, what's the guy? Ain't some all. Because <laughs> it was one. He had a, a box fade, but it looked like they, they taped they the box. They on, did. They like, did. <laughs> it, it didn't have a blend or nothing. It was like mm-hmm. he didn't have to yeah. have a box. You could have just you know because the Caesar has been a classic yeah, for, for, you don't for all time. You didn't have At to all. give him that haircut, but you're like, we got a wig in the box that has not been used. So let's go ahead and use this. Uh, Oh it's man, so I found a, I found an old wig box. We got to use these wigs. It's, it's like he said, yo, he sh- sometimes sometimes he, he he shoots very fast too. But I guess you make yeah, money by saving say, money. That's the one thing, Tyler. Yeah. So he oh, shoots, that's good he shoots fast. <laughs> right? That's what I heard, and it's I, 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 yeah, yeah, you, you definitely you know, I, It's yeah. he's shooting like I forgot. Yeah. Somebody told me what the schedule was, and we had it yeah. on our podcast. He was doing so like was like. Some like 20, yeah, 30 pages in one day or something seen, like that. He has an audience that that in their eyes he can do no wrong. Uh, I mean, I grew up in church and I'm telling you, they all mm-hmm. know Ricky Axe. And you know how many times they suggested I should call Tyler <laughs> Perry? Because they're like, he a Christian. And he will, you know, all he you just got to call him, Ricky. I don't know why you won't call Tyler Perry. And uh, it's like, I, said, I don't know if I'm really his kind of kind of guy. I don't know. But it's like, his audience, he could put up uh, Medea goes to the chicken shack, and they're like, I am lining up right. next they week. They, they, got they, a great, will, they will watch Medea do anything. Uh, fan base. You really do. You know? mm-hmm. So he I has was, no uh, incentive to improve the wigs. He has no incentive to, right. to get a writer's room. Yeah, like, well, so he has a money. very, very strong cult following, because I remember yes. <laughs> I've gone on multiple rants about this topic. I'll save y'all... <laughs> My thoughts, I could go on for 20 minutes about my issues personally with Tyler Perry. But 
I know talking to my mom and my aunties and I'm like pointing certain things Ooh. out and like the the hypocritical things I have issues with. And they Ooh. literally stop me and they're like, we don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> we <laughs> just like, want to enjoy you, his stuff. Don't like, you blaspheme like, in here. <laughs> right, I'm like, what do you mean? And they were like, listen, we don't want to accept the truth. It is what it is. We're going to watch it regardless. So I was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least they're being honest because, you know, yeah. a lot of a lot of artists have ruined their opportunity to be enjoyed by people by too much being known. And some people are like, I don't want to uh, know. I want right. to step in the name mm-hmm. of love. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like, you know, remember back in the old days, you, right? In the old days, you didn't find out that your favorite singer used to beat women until he was dead. And it's like, you know, now it's like, you know, he beats a woman today, and it's uh, a video out five seconds after he finished slapping her <laughs> during live streaming. Yeah, it's like this is happening right now. I'm going live. He is live stream. They'll catch it. <laughs> Now um, he's watching it while he's watching it while he's slapping people. How did get there so fast? I got an alert. I got an alert. Somebody slapping somebody. What's madness? Now everybody loves a dramatic walk off on live TV, and Dermot Maroney is no exception. The actor ended his appearance on Fridays. That's uh, at, when this comes out. It'll be a couple weeks, but yeah. Friday's episode of The View, which was filmed on Thursday by walking off set to show his support to the Writers Guild of America, which has been on strike since. By the way, if you didn't know, May second, he said, "Are we going to break?" That's what he asked before the commercial. He asked Joy Behar towards the end of an hour politely adding I'm going to do this symbolically in solidarity with the writers I'm going to walk off your show and walk off he did waving to the audience with a smile and he left the frame yeah yeah I watched that I mean dramatic I wouldn't cut categorize as a dramatic walk off but I mean anything that I guess brings awareness is is a good thing but I mean the, the headline made it seem like he was in the middle of a sentence and then all of a sudden had a realization that he needed to stand and go. But he explained what he was doing. But, you know, people who write headlines, you know, they be sensationalizing sometimes. My thing is, I want to know, because I'm pretty sure we's picking it outside. Did he, on his way in, excuse me, guys, I got to go inside and do this. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna promote, gotta, gotta yeah, promote this Marvel movie real thing. quick. Let me catch. But on the way out, though, uh, <laughs> but I'll be, out, I'll be out, right back out. out. You know what I mean? Come on, everybody. <laughs> give me, give me the mic when I come out. It is important to show up, like in the picket line, because I mm-hmm. even my status as a comedian. You know, I didn't even realize that people knew who I was, and I had a couple of people coming up to me, and they were like, "Marina Franklin, you're here," and they were like, "This means so much." I mean, it elevates the morale yeah. for someone that they respect or they write for and that they that they're in the picket line right. actually doing it, too. So I think yeah. like you, what you're saying, Mark, is so true. And I think he does. Yeah. I think, yeah, I he's think he in is. the picket line joking, outside of is. this. But you're right. You know, I I think just showing up in certain ways also really does help. Uh, so any actors that are listening to this, like Rick is here. Showing up for the writer's strike is just Absolutely. as important. Absolutely. Um, I do like the fact that they say Variety is told the host remain professional and Joy Behar plugged his Disney Plus series yeah. as she tossed a break. 
Um, and despite this technically being a walk-off, on set sources confirm to Variety that Moroni remained perfectly cordial with the show's host and even stuck around <laughs> for, for photos. I know that that title makes it sound like he was like the like Jesus throwing the thieves yeah. out of the temple. Like he just knocked their papers <laughs> off. I got to get out of here. I just felt like there's a strike and y'all got me inside. No, it's like it was very cordial. But like I said, by him stopping and addressing it, it's like yeah. it brought awareness. It and we're talking so, about it, so he definitely you know, got awareness on it. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it. it ne- I don't think it had to be. Uh, you know, it didn't have to have a headline like a dramatic right. walk off because it was not dramatic. But you know, whatever works. And even teachers, like my my young assistant, put this in. It's going to be a hot labor summer. Unionized workers show up for striking writers. So, like teachers who are striking are also showing up right. for the writers' strike because we're we're seeing this now. We have. We had the Amazon workers striking. Mm-hmm. We have Starbucks workers striking. It's a lot of striking going on. <laughs> What's well, going on? The the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And the people who weren't poor are now becoming poorer also. You know, it's like, you know, I have seen it in our industry, uh, how a dramatic, uh, a dramatic turn in the same amount of work getting less money. You know, so it's like... um it's outrageous how much, you know, like when every once in a while you'll see people try to break down what a billion dollars is. And and like if you have a billion dollars, how you could never possibly in your lifetime spend it all, no matter how hard right. you tried. You know, like the difference between like, you know, people talk about a hundred million dollars and you put that in the bank, you come back in a year, it's gonna make money. No matter what you do. But if you put a hundred dollars in the bank and you leave it alone, you come back and there's like two more dollars <laughs> on top of it, you know? And it's like, so it's a, when there's that big of a gap and the people who have so much, you know, first of all, a lot of people are born on third base and think they hit a triple, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you did nothing <laughs> to right. get this and mm-hmm. you do nothing to help the world with it. And you act like the people who don't have don't have because there's something wrong with their character. You treat poverty like it's a crime. You know, they say any crime that is punishable by a fine is all you're doing is punishing poverty. You know, and it's like this lack of. Can I just say real quick? uh You've just touched on why the submarine story uh, um, posed up against the immigrants flying, you know, mm. drowning. Yeah. The yeah. Eight, was it 800? 700 of was them. 750. 700. Yeah. Like they wouldn't, they were, mm-hmm. it's illegal to actually save, I was hearing this, to save them what? from drowning. Migrants that were fleeing, like in the waters, it was illegal to help in that situation. And yet for our billionaires that just, you know, that small yeah. number of billionaires that Five. died, they sent, you know, Paris was sending. They're still doing studies about it. They're still trying to figure out how this right. could have ever have happened. This the juxtaposing of those stories. Mm-hmm. You can just see the values of life. What we yeah. put. It's sad. Yeah, well, it's just yeah. Disgusting. That, in that particular one, the father and the son. I'm just like, as a father, I'm like, I think about when I'm leaving town. <laughs> you know, like. All right. Uh, being safe, making sure I get back safely with my kids. Uh, if I take them with me, I'm always very much concerned about where I'm taking them to. I couldn't fathom deciding to go 
into this little tin can Man. submarine if I had children, let alone taking one of them with me. You know, but it's, it's there is a certain type of arrogance that comes with uh, extreme wealth. You know, it's the same type of mm-hmm. things that, you know, a lot of people say, like when JF, JFK Jr. died, it's like it's like he was injured and it was a storm. He wasn't that experienced a pilot, but, you know, you couldn't convince him that, hey, maybe this is not a good idea. And it's so hard to convince people who have that kind of money that they don't have that kind of money because they're better at stuff. They're smarter than than everyone else. And they can handle it. They'll figure it out and or their money right. will fix. It. That's what I was going to say. I think the amount of money they have makes them believe that they're inconvenient. I mean, um, basically, basically, I just I think it's like a thing where they forget that they're human. Because their money has gotten them out of any and everything, whether it's like health issues and, you know, all of those type of things. But in reality, you're a human. So the same thing Mm -hmm. that can kill me can kill you (laughs) regardless of how much money we have. Bullets don't care how much money you got. You know, it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. that guy got a billion dollars. Let me go around and shoot this guy Mm -hmm. who only got 20. Right. I do want to ask you about Broadway, Rick. Like, because you've been on you were in Mean Girls and yes. it closed before the pandemic. It closed Was it because we, of the pandemic. Yeah, we closed. Uh, well, yeah, we uh, w- our last show was what March twelfth, and um, it was we were just starting our third year, and um, they were like, uh, yeah, you're gonna go home for like four weeks, which at the time I was like, cool, because eight shows a week, six days a week, that is really grueling, and I was just like looking forward to a break. You know, four weeks, I'm not even gonna run out of money. You know, but then this turned into what it became. And then during that time, it closed, you know, and um, yeah, um, I mean, it was great. The, the A wonderful experience to work with Tina Fey and Lauren Michaels to originate a role on Broadway. Um, it, I, I feel, it, you know, also Broadway just has a pedigree to it that garners some res- some, you know, some respect as an actor as well. So it was a great experience. But, um, is Broadway I, struggling right now? I feel like it's a lot of shows are just disappearing. Well, I don't know if it's struggling. Here's the thing. Broadway producers are very rich people who do not like to lose money. So that's why shows keep coming and going. Like our show, we had people who were rich enough that they could have probably taken the hit a little while longer to to let it play out and bring us back afterwards. But they don't like to lose money. So um, they just, hey, when the show's not doing what they wanted to do, they'll bring another show in. But there's always an audience for Broadway and it's always people who want to see new shows. And the other thing that they're doing to play it safe is they're doing a lot of a lot of the shows are known entities like even our show Mean Girls. It's the movie Mean Girls. It comes with a built in audience. Mm -hmm. It comes with names attached, you know, such as Tina Fey and Lauren Michaels. That also is kind of like, you know, I mean, we were having rehearsals and and we were doing the uh, during the developmental stage. And Steve Martin's there, and and the cast of SNL is there, and we're going to the SNL after parties and stuff like that because of who was affiliated with the show. As far as the industry itself suffering, um, it's not. It's I think there may be a concern amongst a lot of purists, like. What about opportunities for original shows like that yeah. playwright who's or that, you know, musical creator who's trying Wasn't, to get up? There was a black show that Tyler Perry, I think, right, bought all yeah. the tickets for. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I know what you want, because I think Will Smith and Jada did the same thing, bought some oh, tickets, okay. you know, did, um, can't remember which show it was. 
But yeah, those types of things, a lot of original shows can't get, you know, get people out. And, and so now producers go the safe route and, you know, that's the biggest issue. The original shows. That's why I was, I was happy to see Kimberly Akimbo do well at the Tonys. I saw it in previews and I was like, I really want the show to do well. And it's based on a play, but it's the play is not like something right. that's so popular that people knew the, the, the product. So it was like, um, to see it do well and to see the performances by the people involved and like, like those people deserve to be awarded and they were. But, um, for the most part, you know, like MJ the musical, it's like, it's, the music of Michael Jackson. Everybody knows and loves Michael Jackson. People flock to it. It's a great show, but you know, Funny Girl is a uh, it's, it's a revival. You know, you got you know all these revivals as well. So it's kind of like um the origin the you the to the most original things you're going to see is if you go off Broadway and go downtown and public and stuff like that. And you know, they're just hoping to make it to Broadway. Well, I am concerned because I do see a lot of shows being taken out, even on streaming platforms that are, we're going in the direction of diversity. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think my uh, young assistant put this in about Grease, Star Trek, Prodigy, Queen of the Universe, the game were mm-hmm. all canceled and removed yeah. from Paramount Plus, which by the way, we talked about on the last show, like or maybe it was on my live stream. There's a reason for producing your own comedy special now because it could be taken off Uh, of a streaming platform and never been seen again. That's the, that's the big thing. The fact that they get taken off and it's like, you can't find it. You know, it's like, you know, so Paramount Plus is now part of the list of streaming services that have removed platform original content for tax write off. They are removing four shows. Like I said, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, Star Trek, Prodigy, reversing the decision for a season two pickup, Uh the competition series, Queen of the Universe, after two seasons, and the revival of the game. Yeah, after two seasons. I was watching the game too. That's another show, Black Creator, Mara Brock Akil, right? Yeah, yeah so. that's what that's the thing that I'm noticing is these are um like Batgirl uh, was the one that Warner stood Bros. out yep. to me when yeah. that happened. The, and that was is that Warner, that's, that's Warner Brothers. So what is that? So they on? basically said we're not going to they already this movie is shot Batgirl. They shot it as far as I know it's ready Ooh. to go. It's edited all of that. Uh, um but they they decided we're not going to release it. It's going to cost us too much to advertise it in the films in the theaters. But then the question becomes, okay, just put it on streaming. You don't have to advertise or anything. They were like, nope, we're not going to put it on streaming. We're not going to do anything. And it's to, t- it's to make it to take a loss, basically, to have a tax write off. So Warner Brothers canceled a bunch of stuff. Wow. They canceled basically everything on TBS, and t- including the last OG. You can't even find us on Warner Brothers. We saw streaming on Warner Brothers. What? The not last even, OG? You can't even see us on like repeats. <laughs> it's without Wolf Warner. Warner. We used to be on Warner. We was on Netflix and then we got over to Warner, transferred over to Warner. But once this guy came in, Discovery bought uh, HBO and his mandate was to save, I forget how much, but it was billions of dollars. And you save that by canceling shows. You don't have to pay it as streaming, but $90 million for Batgirl and nobody's going to see it. It makes no sense to me, but they're getting a write off for it. So it's what it is. Yeah, I think this is what happens when you have non-artists, people who have no affiliation with art, running 
a business that is right. based on art. It's like, yes, it's a business as well, but it's like if you're only thinking in terms of business, it's, I mean, I think of like with the change in the industry, I think of like back in the day, television shows that went on to be great shows that took a while right. to catch on. And it's like, it's, it's, and it's the same in the music industry. It's like, you know, you don't get a chance to get out here and put out an album. They don't, it don't do well. And then you, you tour and you pick up fans along the way. And, you know, somebody finds your song and then you put out another album. It gets a few more people, you know, like the temptations would have never been the temptations if they didn't get an opportunity to fail repeatedly. Supremes right. wouldn't have had a chance. I also think about the fact that everything is about looks, um, you know, as talented as some of our favorite people are, based on their looks, they wouldn't get a record right. deal today. Right. You know, and so, and, but I mean, one of the differences is like Barry Gordy, who gave a lot of these groups that I just mentioned a chance, was a songwriter himself. So he had, mm -hmm. you know, you know, he, he came from an artist's perspective as well as a businessman. And you got people who just want to get a tax write off of stuff and want to save people money and they want to get a big bonus. And, you know, like you say, they make so much money and the people who create, you don't, you know, you don't have anything without the creators or the talent, you know, and, and a lot of the people who are on the executive end are taught that those things are the least important when we're actually, it's right. the most important. We are the foundation. Yeah. It's, it's so funny how in the beginning I was like, Ooh, Yeah. I can get rid of spectrum and I can stream all whatever I want. And I get an option. And now I'm seeing like, Oh, there's some ramifications for this new wave, new direction we're going in for entertainment. Yeah. And that is people are losing money. People are losing their jobs. AI mm -hmm. is taking over. So when you're out there enjoying your streaming platforms, just think about the people who put it together. Please folks think about that. You know, Netflix, by the way, as a stock, you know, Mark, know I'm always talking about stocks nowadays. <laughs> I was trying to convince Gina Yashere yesterday. I was like, AMD, AMD, you got to get it. But Netflix well. is doing quite well, is, is leading in while well, stocks were doing kind of bad last week or overall, Netflix great. is leading. It's it's like four over four hundred. Uh, but over if you get them in the writers' uh, meeting when they come down, they say we're not making any money. That's that's the that's the that's what the studios are saying. Nobody's making money, but yet you all are getting in the same business. Why would you all? Why would Apple? You're making computers. You're making iPhones. Why are you getting into streaming if you're not going to make money? The same thing with uh, Amazon. Amazon mm -hmm. Prime. You're making uh, billions of dollars mm -hmm. on Amazon Prime. Why are you getting into streaming? Oh, I'm to make less money. No, you're making money. So, and if you, if you're not making money, let me see the books then. You're not going to let us see that though. So come on. But we can see the books. If you study They're making stocks, money. We know it. Right? We see the stocks. They're going up. This is why I actually sort of love now watching the stock market because this is the secret they don't want us to know. Like you can look at the fundamentals. You can see how right. much money they have you can get all of that information. It is there for you. You may not get the algorithms of Netflix. You may not know like the data of how many people are watching, but you can find out exactly right. who makes the most money. It's there. That information. They don't want us to know that though. Netflix was always interesting to me following their finance. So background, my master's is in television and media management. So a lot of the projects I had to do was studying the finances behind 
a lot of these major companies. So like one of my graduating projects, I had to do Netflix compared to Sony and pull their finances for over a span of five years. And what I always found interesting with Netflix is with their stocks, their stocks don't actually show how well they're performing. Their stocks is more so the stockholders believing in kind of like what they have the potential to do because they've been working in a deficit basically since they started. And part of it is because they have this unrealistic goal that they have to reach in order for them to break even. They need the entire globe to spend a certain amount of money, which is not going to happen because Netflix domestically is doing great. But I think they've reached their peak domestically. And with them trying to explain globally, they're not doing well globally at all. Um, So I was just saying when you were bringing up the numbers and things, it was just I always found that so interesting with Netflix was that most of the stockholders with them, the reason they keep trading at higher values has more to do with them believing in, in what Netflix has potential to be and not what Netflix actually is. I don't think Netflix is a good stock to trade at all. And I always tell people that, especially after I studied it, that that's a stock I don't think I would ever hold. I got it. Okay. You know, and I agree with you. That's why I never, but I I was sad when I saw it go up. (laughs) Oh, I mean, (laughs) no, I think I'm no expert. Don't get it. I'm definitely not an expert. It's just that, like, that project just, I I really had to dive deep and it was just like, yeah, no. Well, you do have to see like how much money they have. I mean, I actually can share my screen, but I'm not going to do it because I don't Mm -hmm. want it to mess up because I'm following them. I watch their charts. I watch how much money. And you're right about it's it's not matching up the way it's trading and how much money they have is not matching up. So it's a perception Mm -hmm. of what they think it's going to do. And um, also because they do the subscription tier base now. Like it, the stock dropped when they started to do the subscriptions because they weren't sure how it would do. And now there's apparently it's it's working. So then it's, the stock kind of shot back up. But you're right. I'm not. It feels like it's not real. Mm-hmm. But I always say, look at the fundamentals. Know how much money they're making. You could also look at their earnings. The earnings is what will tell you everything. So mm-hmm. when you get the earnings, the earnings don't lie. So that'll tell you how well Netflix is doing. But um, you brought up something that's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I was just going to say I have to pull up my project and send it to you because I remember I had to calculate their exact break-even number. And it's so astronomical that that's a lot of the reason why I always recommend not to get that stock because I just don't see how they're going to ever hit that. Or their debt? You mean how much they owe? No, a break-even number. So basically, like, for them to at least hit zero in reference because they're in debt. Like they are constantly producing and creating things in a deficit, but their deficit number is so high for them to hit a break even. That is just, is a ridiculous number, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that we're encouraging any downfall for Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you brought up a good thing about graduation, which leads us to this article. I just, this is just, <laughs> hilarious to me the um but not really but then it's also debatable the black college grad and only fan star i didn't yeah, know once she you said only fan fans, star, i was like <laughs> was she was she an only fan yeah, star before that or did she become one after 
Okay. Oh Have my you seen goodness. some pictures of salt mark? <laughs> you got to look on your face I like you see it, some I pictures. Like, I was like, oh, that's so bad. I felt bad for it. Then it said OnlyFans. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me check that. So the OnlyFans star snatches Mike from white administrator who wouldn't let her say her full name. A black college graduate ripped the microphone out of a white administrator's hand after she cut her off during her commencement speech and footage of the incident. And footage of the incident has sparked strong reaction online. Now, her name, Kadia Iman, was seen in a TikTok video wrestling a microphone. And um, there is... Each student was given, by the way, each student was given the opportunity to say their name, major, and few, mm. and a few small things so why about themselves she say as they right. traveled toward the stage. And the influencer and OnlyFans star admitted in a separate TikTok video. That's what she admitted. But as she and other black students got the chance to speak, she says she noticed the woman pulling the mic down super fast uh. for some black folks. I know like who saw the video. I saw I, well, I saw the, all of the, the videos and I saw yes, her I classmates' videos. Like, but mm. I so my opinion has changed a lot, but I'm curious to yeah, hear I, what y'all I, have to I say. Thought she, well, I I thought she oh, was yeah. I was like I at first I saw it, I was like, okay, they didn't say her name. But then I saw the the other classmates saying, Yeah, they did that to everybody, don't care. So I'm like, all right, is she just clout chasing? I kind of feel like she's just clout chasing at this at this point. Like just getting what hits. If you just do something that's, <laughs> you just do something that's wild on TikTok or whatever. People gonna watch it and you're gonna get followers oh. because of it. So that's the young folks say you're doing, you're doing it for clout. That's clout. what the young folks say. I, I kind of, especially that she's <laughs> on OnlyFans. So she's on TikTok. So oh, I kind of feel I just like she's. I kind of feel like it's clout chasing, <laughs> but I definitely think we need more information. But her classmate even said, "Nah, it wasn't like that." So I'm like, eh, what? That's I don't like that they put that she was an OnlyFans star in the in the head. I feel like that's irrelevant to the story. Yeah, but I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, this it's one of those types of things. It becomes a, a lot of he say she say if we don't if we don't have a right. we don't know what happened with everyone. You know, I mean, I tend to try to to trust black folks when we talk about racism, but. That doesn't mean that 100 percent of the time when we say something that it's factual, too. So but um, I just when I saw her wrestling with the with the old white lady, I'm just like, that ain't a good look, even if you're right, because it's like everybody's going to be like, why are you wrestling that old white lady? Not the, but the old white lady was kind of tough because she wasn't letting go easy. And um, <laughs> but I was like, just let her have the mic. Oh, she's holding it. I was like. These old white ladies yeah, tougher right. than you think, huh? And so um, <laughs> I'm like, she's like, I'm an old right. school white girl. I'm not, I'm not just one of these new ones, you know. I'm built for but, this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been a person with this for years. No, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's like um, I don't know. I'm just like I'm a firm believer. You got to choose your battles, and we got a lot of really good battles, and it's like. I mean, come on. The minute you, you'd wrestle with an old white lady, you're going to have not just white folks upset with you. There's going to be some black folks like, why you, why, you know, it's like you, you just got an uphill battle. And I'm, you know, do what, do what you, do you, do what you want to do. But it's just like, I don't know, just walk across the stage. Cause in the grand scheme of things, she's like, what, what does she say? It's like, it's going, I'm going to make it about me today. And it's just, 
that just sounds kind of telling as far as, you know, wanting to a lot of spotlight because everybody else was graduating, too. So it's about all of y'all. And it just is on the cusp of of a young lady who was actually legitimately should have been upset when a when the woman she just I think she did a little yeah, movement yeah, and she, she was Muslim that. and the and the did not dance. receive did her gritty. diploma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so because they were asked to not right. cheer or do anything, because I, I remember back in the day that moment when you receive your diploma, like you in my mind, I remember how many people screamed for me. Yeah, and then you get kind of sad if no one screams for you, and I remember tallying up and thinking about the people they didn't get as many screams. So like you try to make it, you know, in black folks yeah. we yeah, love she... to celebrate, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. So like this, so, we... this is the killing of our joy. Like we were just talk, we t- started the show with talking about like picketing and celebrating mm. at the same time, and then why we do it, and so we are seeing like. We do see legitimately the capping of our joy in mm. football and graduation ceremonies mm. and all sorts of situations. But this, yeah, this was not something that fits into a, we need to stand behind this only fans on this one in particular. Uh, you know, black I mean, folks, we get uh, excited about a kindergarten graduation. So, you know, yeah. she got, she was feeling real good about herself. Like, yeah, baby, learn the letters. Come yeah. on now, you know. But it's, it's kind of, yeah. It's just go ahead and get your, get your diploma and go to Golden Corral and be I happy. I kind of feel, I, I kind of agree with uh, Venice when they said, when they, once they put the only fans in the headline, that definitely made me look. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That was so unnecessary. It's definitely tipping the scale. They're definitely trying to trying to make us lead towards a certain direction. But everybody that got an OnlyFans is not a successful OnlyFans person, too. So that's misleading, too. Well, I think what changed my perspective on this story was not just what the classmates were saying, but somebody released an actual video from the graduation showing exactly okay. how they were going about it. And uh, so you saw the woman literally was giving the exact same amount of time to everybody where she was passing the mic here, passing right. the mic there, passing the mic here, passing the mic there. And so it was like, I hated the, I hated that. I hate that. Um, sometimes you, Oh my goodness, how do I say this? Because I'm still considered young, even though I'm a millennial. But when I look at um like Gen Z at times, I think sometimes they do the extreme of making things about race. And when they do that, it diminishes our fight and our experience when other people look at us. Because mm. this to me didn't have to be a racial right. thing at all, especially when you see the clips of the actual mm. graduation and how the white woman was treating different races of students and allowing different students to speak. Now, she might have had that experience where that woman might have cut her off because we don't see that clip. But right. we saw enough clips to say that I don't see how you can attach this right. directly to race. Yeah. And that's what frustrates me. And then the other thing that frustrates me is the black girl who came out and spoke about her experience at the graduation, who was a student there. And she also was one of the people who released clips that I guess I'm assuming her friends or her family must have recorded showing all of this. 
the black people attacked her, basically yes. calling her like an Uncle Tom, oh, I know that. saying how she's doing the most to support a white woman. And it's like, well, no, she's speaking her truth the same way that this other girl was speaking her truth. Why can't two black people have two different experiences and one has to be anti-black and the other one is, oh, she's pro-black? Like, no, Ooh. that's not that's not fair. And I just hated seeing her get attacked for that. Me too. And this is why I always have you on the show. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. No, I was just, I was sitting here, I was like, I'm so proud of you, Benice. Thank you. You were like, how do I say this? I go, you said it quite well. <laughs> it's, just, it's frustrating too, I think too, because like, you know, I'm in this world and I have to think all the time about what I say because sometimes my point of view might not be what is like the politically correct or what black people deemed online is the way we're going to stand. And it's like, I'm trying to avoid being dragged by my 200 plus thousand followers, you know, on my platform because of the fact that I might not agree with something that we did. Right. And so I hate that we're in that space where it's like, you have to fear speaking your truth because if you do, you can immediately get shut off without anybody even fully even grasping your perspective or grasping your understanding. And it's the same with jokes. Like I, part of the reason why I don't even do, you know, content where I'm reacting to things is because I have a dark sense of humor. So sometimes the things that I find funny, people are going to immediately be like, oh, she's insensitive. Oh, she doesn't understand this. Da, da, da. And it's like, well, no, I'm black. I still, you know, stand for us or I still stand for this. But I think this is funny, you know, and I just don't think that that I just hate that that's the space that we're in. You always lead us right into the next topic. How, how did you do that? Jennifer Lawrence says comedy should offend audiences. You're welcome. Um, that's because she's doing a movie called No Hard Feelings. Actress producer told Sky News that the hallmark of a great comedy film is making viewers uncomfortable. I think it's time for a good old fashioned laugh. And it's really hard to make a comedy where you're not offending people. Everybody in some sense will be offended by this film. You're welcome. But you know what is funny is this article, everyone who's talking is white. I have to Ooh. say like, uh, I can hear it more from you, Venice, <laughs> than I can hear right, it from right, Jennifer. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's fair. I yeah. get that. Because <laughs> she ain't never had to deal with right. being the subject of racial right. humor or mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus humor, the punching down on trans humor. You know, she's never yeah. had to be the right. punchline in a sense. She's beautiful. She's white. She's a woman. You know what I mean? Mm. It's all these. Well, the woman part, maybe. But she's all the things that sort of has protected her from being the punchline yeah, so marina yeah. as a comedian how do you navigate that space well for me and then i i'll ask the two mm -hmm. comedians other two you know that's a good question for you guys because for me i just i have been aware that there are other people now in the room now you know mm -hmm. and that's something to also be aware of there are trans individuals in the room there are it's there are others at the table, you can be dated as a comic if you mm -hmm. make a joke that doesn't is not structured in a way that can make everyone laugh. OK, mm -hmm. so if everyone is laughing at this, then we're good. If there's a huge portion that's not laughing to this, then I feel like I've not done my job. That's how I feel. I'm not one for excluding the other. Yeah. But, you know. 
I also don't want to call out the comedians, in a sense, that take those mm-hmm. risks, mm-hmm. right? On stage that may sort of cross the line and alienate. So I don't call them out because they're exploring too. And who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's leading in a direction of comedy that um, is new and whatever. But mm-hmm. I only want to hear from people like us. I only want to uh-huh. hear it from the LGBTQ plus community about how their comedy offends and they want to do it. That's that's where I'm yeah, at. I, 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 I feel the same way. I mean, it's uh, to a certain degree, people are going to get offended by comedy. But it's it's a balance, you know, as a comic. You try not to offend everybody. You try. I want the whole crowd to be laughing. I don't care who you are. You know what I'm saying? So that's part of it. Are people going to get offended? I'm sure uh, they will be. I don't I don't think that's the intention of most comics. I'm not going to say all because some comics, that's what they intend to do is to offend. So it's like, uh, <laughs> but I can't yeah. speak for everybody. I'm going to speak for myself. But I, uh, but I think. Uh, most comics, majority of comics are trying to make the crowd laugh. Now, sometimes jokes don't work and they end up offending people, but I don't think the inception of the joke was to do that. It was to make people laugh. And sometimes, and that's part of the reason, that's part of the thing of of doing jokes and why we work out at comedy clubs to figure out how it works and how it's going to be taken in by the crowd. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a work in progress a lot of times. Uh, and it's challenging as a comic, and that's our job. And we write, we walk yeah. that tightrope, man. So we gotta walk, we gotta <laughs> walk that fine line, man, and find out where that groove is. You know. Um, yeah, I think it's very interesting when people make statements like comedy right. should yeah, offend. No, it's, it's like I think and, comedy can right. offend. Sometimes it offends. It's like should that makes it sound like every last time it's like if I'm not offending people with every joke, I'm not doing it right. I, I hate when people take this yes. idea of it's one way to do comedy. If you're not getting up there, you're not challenging the status quo, man. You're not, you know, I'm like, I think that you should talk about things that you have a passion about then that you can stand behind. So if you do offend people, you can stand behind it. I What I have a problem with is the people who say offensive stuff and then want you to dismiss it because I'm just right. joking. It's like, uh-huh. no, you should have thought about what you said. And yes, um, there may be consequences. Cause like, I'm like, you can say whatever you want. Like when white guys want to use the N word, I'm like, go ahead, use it. Um, good luck with that. But don't get mad at me because, because of my experience, I can say it. And trust me, there are people who don't want to hear me say it, but, um, it's like this whole idea that it has to offend to work. It's like, I just think it needs to touch people in some way. I think that um, from a lot of people say comedy comes from pain. I think comedy comes from common experiences. Pain is a common, is a common experience that a lot of people have. So a lot of comedy does come from pain, but that's not the only place it comes from. And I think that what makes us who we are, if you're a good comedian is sensitivity. And so with that sensitivity, sometimes it, it has you have to realize that, hey, I can mess up. I can say the wrong thing. And I am also able to apologize if I did do the wrong thing. It's the it's that standing firm on, you know, nobody tells me what to do and I'm not going to ever walk this back because sometimes you're wrong. All right. Yes, sometimes you're wrong. We're going to have to leave it there. This was a great show. Oh, my God. Thank you all so much for being a part of Friends Like Us today on a very important panel 
about the writer's strike and why it's important. And now you know. Um, Mark, can you tell our listeners uh, where they can find you? Yeah, okay. Uh, you, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Comedy Family Man on Instagram. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Mark Theo. Uh, with friends like us, you don't need to. Uh, <laughs> you don't need. To, you don't need to pick it without a soundtrack because <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what we do at the Black Writers Salon. <laughs> We pick it with the best of them. We got a soundtrack. We got a DJ and somebody singing live. It's it's amazing. So, so, so come out out and pick it with us when you get a chance. We're going to be out there until this is over, until the wheels fall off, baby. I'm How long hoping, do you think, by man, the way? I'm hoping September, but it's it really going to depend on uh, SAG after. If SAG walks out with us, it'll be over quicker than, than later. But if they don't, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be in for the long haul, so. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Oh, and one more question before. What's that? Has it Strike? been effective? Absolutely. This stuff's shutting down. Yes. There's so many shows that have shut down. It's it's ridiculous. We're now going into fall. So those shows that are like, you, that's supposed to premiere in, in September, they're going to be delayed at this point because the writer room should be open by now. So the, uh, yeah, the delays will be felt. Absolutely. Wonderful. Venice. Oh, hello, everyone. Um, you can find me at I am dot Venice. That's V-E-N-I-E-C-E. Um, I'm mainly on TikTok, um, but um, I am Venice across all platforms. Also, I have a podcast called Sip and Spill. Um, new season will be coming out in August. So you can find all things related to that at sippinspills.com. And with friends like us, writers That's will right. have jobs. All right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Paying yeah. jobs. Yes. <laughs> Rick Younger. Oh. All right. Hey, I'm Rick Younger, and you can find me at Rick Younger on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube.com slash Rick Younger, Facebook.com slash Rick Younger page, or Google me. I'm the first six to 12 pages of Rick Younger on Google. And uh, with friends like us, who needs a. Uh, who needs, uh, who needs, what's that thing that they need? Who need, what, what did the young folks listen to music on? Is it the, they, don't do, they don't do the iPod. Yeah, no Air they don't Air do the, yeah, with friends like us, Air you don't Air need Air earbuds. You can just, yes, whatever. If you need, any of your music needs will be covered by me and Marina. So with friends like us, you don't need those things. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, we'll sing it for you. I did see you, that I saw your live. I came home. From like a huge house music event and uh, for Pride yesterday with uh, Gina and I came home and I went on my Instagram and I saw you singing on live. It was amazing. Oh yeah, I I uh, sing with my family band, the Powell Younger Project, though based out of my hometown, Baltimore. So I go down there a lot of weekends and sing with my me and my cousin and one of our best friends from from high school. We've been singing together since high school, and um, that's that's my happy place. So it's like you know when I'm not up here telling jokes or acting or whatever or creating in some way I go down there and I also I also live stream from my kitchen my low budget morning <laughs> show that's just like my way to connect with people and I I have musical Tourette's so I'm, I fix breakfast or breakfast <laughs> B-R-E-F-F-U-S hashtag breakfast 
And um, I just make food and I talk about what's going on. I break in the song. I, I do uh, requests. So, yeah, that's an, another good thing you, you will find if you follow He's me on it. He's a good singer, actually. <laughs> that's what they said. You got to have I know, I know, right? Are you firing Marina from her own job of singing her own intro? Well, let, let's just do a little test run of you doing with a, a little intro of Friends Like Us. And go! With friends like us, who needs enemies? With friends like us, we'll be your frenemies. Hey, 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 Thank you. And Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com, for all my dates and where I'll be or where I won't be. You just follow me. Also, this is most important. Just tell more people about the podcast. I love all of my fans here on Friends Like Us. And those that know if you're a golden friend and you follow us, follow us on Patreon. You get to watch the recordings live on Monday. There was no one here today. Where's Where are my friends? They're usually here. So you get that as part of the subscription. You get to watch us live. It's unedited. So that's for you. And with friends like us, you learn more about that's equity right. in the arts. Oh, that's a good All one. All right. One, two, three. Check us out.